We're continuing our series. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John 17. We're continuing our series looking at our church vision and mission and trying to walk through that in a, um, in a sermon series together. So I invite you to take a look at John 17. It's Jesus' prayer for the church. And right before his death and, and of course, subsequent resurrection. So we, we're believing again that if it's good enough for Jesus to pray for the church, these things, then they're probably good things for us to try to live out as the body of Christ. So using John 17 as a blueprint for who we should be and connecting that in with our long range planning process, our vision culture committee that has been wrestling over a number of months and has kind of returned to us to say, okay, we reaffirm a lot of the things that we've been pursuing as a, a church body, and we'll continue to share some of that in the weeks ahead. But particularly, we've been walking through a few weeks ago, uh, glorifying God by inviting all into His grace. So we, we journeyed through that. And then last week, we started into our mission a part of our of who we are as a church, and we talked about growing truth. So let's let's practice again. Y'all can say this together with me. Grow in truth. Fantastic. Live in community. Right, and serving in the kingdom. All right, very good. So good. You're all getting very good at that. All right, so we're walking through this, and let me, let me just review again, probably worthwhile, end of summer, Labor Day, we've been in and out a little bit, what we talked about, at least some of the key tensions there. When we talked about glorifying God, and you can find these uh, messages, of course, on the podcast, but glorifying God maybe a month ago or so, we talked about glory as this weighty, righteousness, this uh, significant holiness or set-apartness that, that God has, something notable about the reality of who God is. It's above and beyond all categories that we have. And then we, we talked about, we've been trying to talk each week about some tensions that we sort of live in in light of those realities. When we talked about glorifying God, we, we discussed the fact that we, we glorify God, not just in the worship service setting here, that's obviously a key component of our church time, or even in our own personal sort of devotional time with the Lord, but we're invited to glorify God in everything that we do. Each day in the work that God has called us and the responsibilities and the opportunities that He's given to us, even in our leisure and the time that we're enjoying, just uh, entertainment, all of those things are opportunities to glorify God. We saw that. We saw that uh, when, we, when our focus is on glorifying God, then life is not about me and it's not about you. Right? All of a sudden, God, God and who God is becomes what life is about, and that shapes a whole bunch of things. It can shape a whole bunch of things in marriage relationships and friendships. It also shapes life in the church where we're thinking about how can I defer to the other person in love and grace. And then we also talked a little bit specifically as we thought about worship and that aspect of glorifying God about this tension between reverence and celebration. As we celebrate God's glory, we also revere who God is. And so some of us lean on that reverence side, some of us lean on that celebration side, and the Lord wants us to hold both of those things and uplift them. Talked about into God's grace uh, just a couple of weeks ago, that part of the, uh, the vision statement that the Lord, we believe the Lord has called to us. And we already, Brandon mentioned it earlier, I think, in the call to confession today, but we just, we have this tendency to teeter-totter between license and legalism, right? Have grace, we'll party. You know, license is, I'll go do whatever I want to. It's all covered. The insurance policy will handle it. It's a rental car. 
uh, you know, that's, that's sort of the license mindset. Legalism, we often tend to, sometimes in the same day, we can flip-flop between them. Legalism, somehow I will generate enough goodness. Somehow I will be righteous enough to, uh, to seek and to, to get to the Lord. I don't need grace. I don't need a mediator. And then we talked uh, a couple of weeks back, of course, about inviting all. And I want to connect that with what we're going to talk about today in terms of living in community. So inviting all, we, we focused on the fact that God has called the, us to extend His message and His grace and His welcome to any who would come seeking the Lord. And, and we see that happening in the life of our church body. That's happening almost every single week as folks come into our midst and are seeking and wanting to know about God. And at the same time, we said that there's a distinctiveness between the, the welcoming stance and the commitment of being a disciple of Jesus and being part of the body of Christ. The uh, loving relationship, the commitment, the accountability that we come into as actual members of the body of Christ, those are distinctive realities. And so that's what we want to sort of move to today. What does that Christian community look like for those that are covenanted together uh, in the body of Christ? Uh, particularly those today, too, that have, have joined and are members of our church. You actually got up in front. You may not remember all of that, but you made covenant commitments to, to this body of believers. And this is an opportunity to reflect on that. We've got two messages this week and uh, next week on this theme. So look with me at John 17 after that admittedly long introduction. And we're going to start with verse 2, kind of mid-sentence here. Jesus praying. He says, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. The last part is important there in particular. And in verse 3 as well, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And then if you'll jump with me down to verse 6 and we'll go to about verse 12 and then next week we're going to look at there's other passages in the second part of John 17 about community, but let's focus in on verses 6 through 12 today. Jesus says, I have manifested, or he prays, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you and that you have and have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours. Yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. And then this last verse, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. That's probably far enough for us to go today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we ask that you would help us to see in a fresh way what it is to live in Christian community in the body of Christ as you have called us to, uh, maybe for some today here for the first time to begin to understand what that means. And I pray that you would move us to further steps of living 
as your people uh, called out to this body of Christ for your purposes. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, if you've known me for a little while, you probably have a, a little sense of my uh, humor, my, my sense of humor. So it won't surprise you to know that I love the satirical publication that's been coming out the last few years online, the Babylon Bee. It's a uh, fictional newspaper of sorts online with a humorous and usually church-related stance. They do a good job of making fun of just about everybody. But I thought about this particular headline from the Babylon Bee not too long ago as I was thinking about what it's like to live in community and the different directions that we come from even as we walk in the door on a given Sunday morning, the extroverts, the introverts, what does it look like? It's something as simple as that. So this is the fictional article to get us started today. Church greeter sprints through foyer to tackle man who dodged handshake. Little Rock, Arkansas. When it comes to greeting church members each Sunday morning, no one is more committed than Bert Dempsey, who has held the prime double-door spot for greeting at Solid Rock Church for the past 18 years. Every Lord's Day, Dempsey awakes before dawn and begins a ritual of stretches and calisthenics to ensure that his mind and his body are at tip-top shape for shaking hundreds of hands. Finally, this Sunday morning, his intense training was put to the extreme test. A first-time visitor who was running late slipped by him and made a beeline for the four-year doors as the other greeters all stood about chatting at the Welcome Center. But Dempsey was ready. He sprang from his post with lightning speed, closing that 30-yard distance between him and the visitor in just seconds. According to onlookers, before finally launching from the balls of his feet like a jungle cat and crumpling the visitor down to the floor. Nobody gets by me without a smile and a handshake, he growled into the man's ear as he rolled around on the ground in pain. Now stand up and let me cheerily greet you in the joy of the Lord. As the man shakily rose to his feet, dusting himself off, Dempsey smiled, shook his hand, and handed him a program saying, good morning, it's good to have you with us, before darting back to his post to ensure nobody else would get by. When asked about it later on, he chuckled and said, I haven't let anybody get past me since the Clinton administration, and I'm not about to break my streak for some introverted punk who can't stop for three seconds for a good old-fashioned handshake and a bulletin. Well, the Babylon Bee uh, highlights a lot of things probably about church life that are entertaining for us. And it's good to laugh about some of these things that actually are things at a deeper level that we really do struggle with. And that is the different perspectives that we come from even walking in the door on a Sunday morning to church, whether it's our you know, disposition extrovert versus introvert, or whether it's the things that are going on in our life, or even the background that people have in church. It's amazing how that shapes whatever history we've got with or without church, how it shapes what we think about who the body of Christ is and who we should be. 
of course, you know, we can see right away the introvert-extrovert uh, tension. Uh, the extrovert probably needs to, to hear and to see that they should brave an encounter with God in order to get their social connections. And the introvert has to come in and brave a social encounter to reach and get to know God, right? Those tensions are there. But the bigger question for us today is, and we want to unpack it over the next couple of weeks a bit, what is this thing of being the body of Christ? What does it mean to live in Christian community? What is that about? And this is for the youngest ones here all the way up through the most senior ones. What's it look like to love one another as the body of Christ? And when we talk about living in community as a church, we certainly have a double meaning. The phrase I think works nicely to, to highlight two things about our church. One is that we're committed to a locality, right? Uh, we, we want to reach out and know our neighbors and be connected to them. That's part of who we are. So living in the broader community around us intentionally. But the focus for the next couple of weeks, and, and that would be a, a great topic to unpack, the focus for the next couple of weeks I want to, to be on is what does it look like to live in fellowship and in relationship with one another in the way that God calls us to, in a way that God wants to bless us and strengthen us and equip us. And here's the main idea then is this, and I think it's in your uh, worship guide, and Jason may have it up on the screen as well. Since the church community is God's idea for His glory and for our good, that's real important, we got to believe that, we should understand and live as the body of Christ. So we've got to understand things about what the body of Christ is, and then we've got to actually live them out. Won't do any good for them just to sit in our mind. We have to actually live those out. So let's take a look at a couple of concepts here from the Scriptures, and this has kind of been our approach the last four or five weeks, you know. We look at a few parts of this, John 17, and then I'm going to highlight what I think are a couple of tensions that we have to figure out how to live in if we're going to do this thing that God calls us to. So, living in community. Take a look with me uh, at verse 2. And the first thing we see in the Scriptures is that this idea of the body of Christ, it's not just a club that we decide to form. It's not just a group that we decide to commit to. It's actually something that God is forming and that God brings us into. And if you think that's an emphasis on kind of God's sovereignty, absolutely. You tell me in these verses where it's not there. It's there on the pages. Verse 2, it says, Since you have given Him authority over all flesh, doesn't get too much more sovereign than that, all authority, to give eternal life to whom you, to all whom you have given Him. Several other places in these verses, uh, on down in verse 6, I think it mentions that, the, the ones that He has gave Him out of the world. And then verse 9 is kind of wonky because we say, wait a minute, Jesus isn't praying for the world? I'm not praying for the world, doesn't care about the world? Well, in this prayer, that's not His focus. His focus is on the church. He says, He's praying for those whom you have given Me. Right? That's like a big phrase in John 17. There's a bunch of cool stuff in John 17, but that's a, 
That's a big phrase. And it's this idea that we talked about a few weeks ago when we spoke about inviting all. And we said one of the things we're supposed to do as the church is extend what the, the Bible teachers and theologians call the gospel call. So we tell everybody, you can tell your mechanic, you can tell your mail delivery person, you can tell your coworkers and your family, you tell them about who Jesus is. And maybe tell them how Jesus has changed and impacted your life. That's the gospel call. And invite them to come and receive that. We're doing a Sunday school series over the next number of weeks where we're looking at how we can be better equipped to do all of that, the gospel call. So that goes out to everyone. But as this passage reminds us, and as we can know just from looking around our community or looking around the world, only some embrace that and come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and come into the body of of believers, the body of Christ. And that means that there's an effectual call that God puts forth by His working and by His power. So when Jesus speaks about those who've been given to Him, He's talking about the fact that we may, here's maybe a way to put it, we may not like each other and we may not like being in the church together. I hope that's not how we think about it, but we may not. But God wants us in the body of Christ. He's brought us into it. And anybody who's, he's working in a saving way, you can't get away from that. That's what he's invited us to be a part of uh, for his purposes in our lives and to use us in other people's lives as well. So we're called out ones. And indeed, if you think about the term uh, in Spanish for uh, the church, iglesia, right? You sometimes see maybe a Spanish-speaking church. As far as I know, that's derived from the Latin. I hope I'm right about this. Ecclesia, and that's uh, from the Greek, I'm sorry, ecclesia, and that's the term for called out ones, right? So that's part of who we are. We're called out and called into this body of Christ. And Jesus speaks about that here. We're connected to by a profession of faith. So the second thing I want you to see is, uh, and this is really highlighted in verse 3 probably as much as anywhere else, it says, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Right? We're not a quilting club. We're not a, you know, musical production group. We're not the golf team. We're the body of Christ. That's what we're here about. So the thing that it may be, be self-explanatory, but the thing that connects us is Christ. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. I may not get to it today, but I'll unpack it next week, about the fact that when you're disappointed and discouraged about things in the body of Christ, one of the best things you and I can do is to try to look and see Jesus and the other people in the body of Christ. Stop seeing that person and how they've disappointed you or what the, what's wrong with them, but begin to see and ask God to give you eyes to see Jesus in that other person. We're connected by our profession of faith in Christ. And then thirdly, we're connected and linked by a commitment to God's Word. If you look at verse 6, it says, I've manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. They have kept your word. Goes on and says in verse 8, they have received and come to know the truth that I came from you. So we're not just committed to a general profession of faith, but we're people that say, as, as we looked last week when we talked about growing in truth, 
who say we, we are linked and guided by God's Word. And what that means is that God's Word this determines who we should be as the body of Christ. That's what we're trying to do as we look at John 17. So I may not feel like praying for someone else or serving someone else or loving someone else. I may not like being in the position of having to be served or having to be prayed for. But that's where God has me, right? And that's the church, what he's called the church to do and told us in his word that we should do for one another. So those are three principles today. Next week we're going to look at unity and love and accountability that we have in the body of Christ, which comes up later in in John, but in the couple of minutes that we've got left, I want to do what we've done other weeks and look at the tensions then that are revealed by this. And the first one we've already talked a little bit about this morning and this introvert extrovert thing, but I want to wrestle with that a little bit more. And this is the tension between individualism and collective, right? And all together. Uh, individualism and connectionalism, I guess we could call it. And here's the, here's the breakdown for us. Some of us like to be alone. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? God may have wired us more for that. Some of us really like to be with other people, and we're energized by that. As I said before, some of us might have to brave the Sunday morning worship social environment in order to get to the God relationship. Others of us have to brave the God relationship because our goal is the social environment, right? We have to get there somewhere or another. Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, writes about in his book Life Together, which interestingly enough with the 10-year anniversary, that was a book that all of the core group members back in the very early days before Cross Creek Church launched, we read like five or six books together and then talked about them as we were prepping to start the church. And we read Life Together. Bonhoeffer, German theologian during World War II, uh, sought to maintain a faithful church while the rest of the church was basically signing on uh, hook, line, and sinker with Nazism, ended up in prison, lived out, I guess, two or three years of the war in prison, and finally executed by direct order from Hitler right before the Allies liberated the camp he was held in. He wrote a bunch of, of things, and one of these books was Life Together, and he wrote about Christian community because he saw how valuable it was. And that's one of the things that we probably need to pause even before we talk about individualism and connectionalism is, you know, when something's taken away from us that we have the privilege of enjoying, then we usually see its value. Like, oh, I missed that. It's gone. Bonhoeffer got it. He got the value of Christian community because they shut down the churches. They couldn't meet anymore. And then they shut down the radio broadcast that still kept them connected. And then they put a lot of the believers in prison and kept them from relating to one another. And they would try to get together, at least in prison, and even pray and relate to each other there. So he was a guy that knew some stuff about Christian community that I think we ought to listen to. And he just put it this way. He said, let him who cannot be alone, extroverts, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Well, some of us are real good at doing the community thing of church, but our personal time in relating to Lord in solitude and in individualism is maybe absent. 
We don't have a lot of that. So he said, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. And then he said the flip side, let him who cannot be with others beware of solitude. Right? So I know, I mean, you're here today. So every, the introverts in the group have sort of braved this context to come out here. That's a good thing. Keep doing that. We need to do that. And guess what? When we talk about life groups and community groups in the church, here's a, a, a concept that's really hard for us to grasp. You may not feel like you need other people in this body of Christ, but if God's brought you here, at the very least, other people need you. And guess what? You probably need them too. But maybe start flipping it around and, and, and not thinking about whether I need those other people, but whether those other people need me to pray for them, to support them, to encourage them, to hear and listen to what's going on in their lives. So individual and connectionalism, I want us to really think about what God is calling us to in terms of community life as a church body together. And folks, we're going to talk about this more next week, but we can do that in our church setting better than other church settings, right? There's a lot of great things about the massive church structure. They probably don't have trouble with their little video Wi-Fi thing working, right? Because they got, you know, somebody is paid to figure all that out. That's, that's great, and there's lots of good things happening there. But in our church context, we can know each other. That's good. And we can care about each other. And we can learn about each other, warts and all. Leads me to my second point, and really my closing point. And, uh, and that's this hope and disappointment tension that we live in. You open up John 17, and you start reading what Jesus prays for the church, if the Holy Spirit's working in your life at all, like, that is fantastic. That is awesome what he is praying for. I want to be a part of that. Show me how to be a part of that. There is a hope presented to us in the idea of the body of Christ that's phenomenal, I hope we see today. There's also a radical sense of disappointment that comes with the church body, too. Because we've all been let down by the church collective, by the church leaders, by people in the church. We've maybe even been intentionally harmed by people, not just disappointed or let down. So how do we wrestle between that? Well, you all have heard the old story, I'll share it again just for fun, of the man living on the deserted island, and he's been there for years and years by himself, and the ship captain finally spots him and pulls up and comes in to rescue him, and he's, uh, he looks around, and the captain says, well, I see you built a couple of uh, huts up there on the hill. And the guy on the deserted island says, yeah, sure I have. He says, you got, you got three of them up there. So tell me about them. He says, well, that, that one over there, that's my house. That's where I live and do all my stuff. Got a little kitchen inside. Ship captain says, well, you know, tell me about this other one. He says, well, that's my church. That's where I go to worship and so forth. Praise God. Captain of the ship says, ah, that's fantastic. Now, tell me about that third building that you got there on this deserted island. Guy says, well, that's the church I used to go to. Let's talk about that for just a minute, and I'm going to use an article to do that uh, this week, and we'll close up with this. It's from an article, I think this was maybe Gospel Coalition, called uh, uh, What to Do If You Joined the Wrong Church. What to Do If You Joined the Wrong Church. And it uses the illustration and analogy of our covenant commitments 
in a marriage relationship, obviously the church covenant commitments are not at that level, but nevertheless mirror those and reflect them. And he even focuses in on an article that I had read back in 2016, but rediscovered recently uh, that was entitled, Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. So he uses this to talk about the fact that all of us marry the wrong person, right? And then we've got to figure out how to be married to that wrong person because of our covenant commitments. Here's what he says. He says, almost all Christians know what it's like to question whether they join the right church. After an initial honeymoon stage, we begin to see our church's problems with greater clarity than its strengths. The sermons start to seem too intellectual or not intellectual enough. The church begins budgeting for ministries that don't seem deserving of the dollar figure on the spreadsheet. The small groups don't meet our needs in the ways we hope. More personally, the needs of other church members begin to encroach increasingly on our personal freedoms. Some members even sin against us, even without knowing how deeply we've been wounded. Without even realizing it's happening, we begin to wonder whether our local assembly is the right place for us. Of course, we remind ourselves there's no such thing as a perfect church, and we've told that to other church members as well, and yet we can't help but having the nagging question, did I join the wrong church? What's the problem? He says, writing this article, the question is it assumes that church life shouldn't be hard. It assumes that the honeymoon stage should continue in perpetuity, or that something has gone awry if we experience significant disappointment or hurt from relationships with other members or leaders. He says this, he says, the assumptions real deep, reveal deep and unthinking commitment we have to consumerism. Only if the perks of membership outweigh its inconveniences will we think it's worth it to stick it out. Now, I know this article author, he's not trying to uh, speak to us about divorce scenarios that we've maybe been through and so forth. I'm not trying to unpack all of that today. Uh, the Lord will sort all of that out. He's got His directives, and we know about the directives for that and reasons for divorce and not for divorce. But the analogy really does play over for us in the church setting. He goes on, he says, I've found Christians most often pushed eject on their membership, not because they're upset at the church's budget or because they disagree with matters of polity. Christians leave their churches for the same reasons people leave their marriages. Lack of relational depth and affection. In other words, many leave their churches because they just don't seem compatible with the church or because the relationships leave them feeling dry. Then he says this at the end. He says, when the Bible speaks about the church, so here's the vision that can maybe get us out of that hope uh, disappointment dilemma that we all find ourselves in. It says, when the Bible speaks about the church, it refers to it as a covenant community. Church members aren't just part of a shared interest group. They're covenanted to one another by a sacred promise to oversee one another's membership in the kingdom and faithfulness to the King, King Jesus. These covenant obligations, just two more paragraphs, are the foundation of our church commitment and should function as the backbone of church life. Covenant precedes community. Right? Young people, the reason we encourage, would encourage you uh, to seek to find a person to marry first before you live with them is because covenant precedes community. Covenant precedes relationship, that bond there. We might even say it creates community, he says. 
The covenant promises members make to one another blossom into life-giving relationships our hearts crave. And then the last couple of sentences. Rooting commitment in our covenant promises doesn't mean church relationships are nothing but soulless duty. Instead, covenant commitments are the food that nourish relationships with other members. The more we hold ourselves to our covenant promises, the more our relationships blossom and endure through seasons of difficulty. I want to invite us to think about this and think about, now some are here and maybe have not made a covenant commitment of joining our church. I'd encourage you all to think about that and how that's valuable and important for your relationship to the body of Christ. So that's one thing that would, would be a good application. For others of us that have made that commitment, I invite us to think today about what do those covenant commitments mean as a basis and a framework for us to choose to love each other, choose to forgive each other, choose to serve each other, not because of what we're going to get out of it, but because of what we've committed to one another and how God wants to work in our lives through that. Let's pray.